Welcome to week number two of our series, Life Healing Choices or Healing Choices. Um, this is the question I want to begin with this morning. It's on the screen and hopefully you received an outline as you came in the door. Have you ever looked over your shoulder while being chased? Have you ever looked over your shoulder while you were being chased? It's not the best tactic in the entire world. 25 years ago, Sherry and I were leading a youth all-nighter and we were playing a popular youth game at that time called Capture the Flag. Maybe you've played it. Capture the Flag is best played with minimal lighting. And so it was bound to happen. One of the girls being pursued by an opposing team member looked over her shoulder while being chased. And you know what happened, right? There was this great big pine tree. And she face-planted herself right into the old tree. Needless to say, the game ended with that little incident. She was not harmed, but she was shaken up. It's not the smartest move in the world to look over your shoulder while being chased. In fact, uh, marathon runners will tell you, look ahead, look down, but don't look back. Don't look over your shoulder. I'd like to take this phrase, don't look over your shoulder, a step further by asking you this question this morning. Have you ever looked over your shoulder because you committed a crime, you did something stupid, you did something secretive or questionable? Have you ever looked over your shoulder while you, uh, because you committed a crime or you did something stupid or secretive or questionable? An old woman walked up and tied her old mule to a hitching post. And as she stood there brushing some of the desert dust off of her face and clothes, a young gunslinger walked out of the saloon with a gun in one hand and a bottle of whiskey in the other. The young gunslinger looked at the old woman and said, Hey, old woman. Have you ever danced? The old woman looked at the gunslinger and said, No, I've never danced and never really wanted to. A crowd had gathered at this point, and the gunslinger grinned and said, Well, you old bag, you're going to dance now. And he began to unload his pistol at her feet. The old prospector, not wanting to get a toe blown off, starts hopping around in the street as the young gunslinger is shooting shots at her feet. And everybody was laughing. When the last bullet had fired, the young gunslinger, still laughing, holstered his gun, turned around to walk back into the saloon. The old woman turned to her pack mule and pulled out a double-barreled shotgun. <laughs> she cocked both hammers, which could clearly be heard in the desert air. The crowd was no longer laughing, and in fact, there was silence in the street. And the young gunslinger also heard the click, click, and as he looked over his shoulder, he noticed that the large gaping holes of the twin-barreled shotgun were aimed squarely at him. Those barrels never wavered in the old woman's hands, to which she quietly said to the gunslinger, Son, have you ever kissed a mule's hind end? <laughs> and the gunslinger swallowed hard. No, ma'am, but I've always wanted to. <laughs> Have you ever looked over your shoulder because you did something stupid? Like shoot at an old lady's feet. Have you ever looked over your shoulder because you did something criminal? Something stupid? Something secretive that you thought nobody else would know? Or even something questionable? 
Why do we? Why do we look over our shoulder when we do something criminal or do something stupid or do something secretive or something questionable? I want to give you the answer this morning. I'll ask the question, I'll give you the answer. Most of the time we look over our shoulder because of guilt. Because we're guilty. We've done something and we're looking over our shoulder because we've done it. Guilt causes us to do that. It's guilt that whispers in our ear, the authorities are going to pursue me. I'm going to get caught. Or maybe sometime, some time has passed by and we're looking over our shoulder and no one's pursuing us and no one's noticed what we've done. And we may even say these words, phew, I'm going to get away with it. Believe it or not, guilt sucks the vitality out of life in three major ways. I want to give them to you this morning. First of all, guilt destroys personal confidence. Any confidence that you have in your life, if you have guilt in your life, it will drain you of your confidence. It wears us down. Guilt makes us feel like we're not good enough, that we're not worthy enough, that we'll even sometimes go so far as to say, I'm a total failure because of guilt in our life. It should be no surprise that many people live under this burden of guilt and shame. There are people in this room this morning who are living under the burden of guilt and shame. And under that burden, guilt is whispering to you, you did something bad. And shame is telling you, you are bad. Guilt is whispering to you saying, you've done something bad. And shame is telling you, you are just plain bad. Both are lies from the enemy. And we'll talk about this in just a little bit, so just pause there. So guilt will erode the confidence that we have in our life. It will also do this. Guilt damages relationships. It damages relationships. What does guilt do? Guilt hides. It conceals things. It lies about things. In fact, guilt leads to a double life where you may say, I'm this, but actually you're guilty of something totally opposite. Guilt often avoids long-term commitment. Why does it um, avoid long-term commitment? Because it conceals things. Because it lies about things. Because it leads a double life. And so it often breaks relationships that we have in our life. Guilt remembers the horrible experiences that you have committed in your past relationships. And often those guilt from past relationships transfers to the present relationships that you have so you can't fully focus on the present relationships that you have because you're carrying guilt from past relationships it just destroys relationships guilt takes healthy relationships and destroys them third guilt keeps a record It constantly reminds us of our past failures. It it constantly reminds us of our mistakes and, and the sins that we have committed. And instead of dealing with the current problems that we have in our life, we are consumed by past guilt and past problems that we have in our life that we refuse to deal with. And they're rearing their ugly head in the current present moment. Phillips Brooks said this. He said, the only way to get rid of your past is to make your future out of it. God will waste nothing in your life. He will waste nothing. I'll tell you what guilt will do to you. It will steal you of any peace you will have. It will rob you of your faith. It will feed your anxieties. And it will snuff out the light that is Jesus is trying to shine in your life. But not all guilt is bad. Uh-oh. <laughs> but not all guilt is bad. 
Guilt has some good qualities where it warns us when we do something wrong and that that wrong has to be made right. You see, guilt is what the Holy Spirit uses to bring confession to our lips. Believe it or not. Now, guilt makes us uncomfortable, yes, but there is a reason why that guilt makes us uncomfortable because it tells us that we've done something wrong. And when the Holy Spirit is involved using that guilt... Generally, hopefully, it will bring us to the point of confession where we confess our guilt and sin and wrongs. Someone wisely offered this advice. Better to confess what you have done now and take your punishment than spend the rest of your life looking over your shoulder. Better to confess now and fix what's wrong than to spend the rest of your life looking over your shoulder. I wholeheartedly believe that there are very few people, maybe there's a few, but very few people, who want to spend all of their life, all of their time, all of their energy, looking over their shoulder for the rest of their life. To me, that's just exhausting. To be trying to live, to trying to be productive, trying to do what Jesus wants you to do, and yet you're looking over your shoulder all the time, that's just pure exhaustion. Why don't we just confess up? Why don't we just say, here's what's going on in my life. Confess the things that are wrong. Confess the sin that we have that the Holy Spirit is pointing out in our life so that we're able to move forward and move on. The foundation of any restoration. That's the last word that you saw in that video clip before I started to speak this morning. Restoration. The foundational piece to restoration in our life is built upon this healing choice. The choice of heart and life purity. The choice of heart and life purity. Say that with me, church, this morning. The choice of heart and life purity. Jesus specifically mentions heart purity in his teachings on the hillside. We often call it in the church the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus begins by the blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the mourners, for they will be comforted. And then in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus goes, God blesses those who say with me, church, hearts are pure. The words of Jesus. God blesses, God anoints, God wants to use those whose hearts are pure. For they will see God. Perhaps you're wondering this morning, maybe you're not, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, what is heart purity and is it even possible? You know, we're living in a dirty world. We're living in a corrupt world. We're living in a world that just robs us of all joy. I don't know if you've watched the news recently. Or maybe a rant on social media. It's degrading, demoralizing, energy zapping. Is it possible to have heart purity in the world that we live in today? It's a great question. In the deepest sense... A pure heart is a heart that is free and clean of impurities. Now that's logical this morning, and you're going, well, that's 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 nothing new. That's that's very obvious, Pastor, this morning. You know, if gold is to be pure, it needs to be free of all impurities for gold to be pure. If silver is to be pure, it needs to be free of what? All impurities. If a heart is to be pure, then it needs to be free from all impurities that may be there. 
free of stuff that weighs us down, free of sin, free of guilt that slows us down from doing what Jesus wants us to do. Paul speaks about it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and then in verse 2, we're going to break down verse 1. Uh, here's the first part of verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, say this with me, church, let us strip off every weight that slows us yeah. down. Let's strip off every sin, everything that weighs us down that is not God-honoring. Let's just get rid of it so that we're able to run the race. And the latter part of verse 1, especially, the author writes, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Get rid of it. Deal with it. Allow Jesus to purify you and to get rid of those sins that trip you up so that you can have a pure what? Heart. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And then in verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Say that with me. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We discover the formula for a pure heart in Hebrews chapter 12. There are four things the author writes to us that, that we know we can have a pure heart. First of all, a pure heart frees us from impurities. A pure heart is free, excuse me, from impurities. What does the author say? Strip away every sin that what? Trips us up. And so the author is saying if you get rid of the sins that trips you up, then you actually have a pure heart that is free from impurities. The second thing that we see here in these two verses is that a pure heart is an enduring heart. Run with endurance. We cannot run this race we cannot go through this life with endurance if we do not have a pure heart. A pure heart means that you will run the race with endurance. The third thing is that a pure heart is fixed on who? Jesus. Keep your eyes on who? On Jesus Christ. And fourth, a pure heart is, in, is needed, um, and a pure heart is needed to be connected with God. What does the author say in verse 2? the champion who initiates and perfects our what? Our faith. What we fail to remember is that, the, that a pure heart is impossible to achieve unless we are connected to God. If we are not connected to God, if we are not connected to Jesus, if we're not connected to His Holy Spirit, then a pure heart is impossible. You will never rid yourself of impurities. You will never run the race with endurance. You won't keep your eyes on Jesus. It's just impossible. You have to stay connected to Jesus. You have to stay connected to God if you want a pure heart. What we fail to realize is that in order to achieve a pure heart that we must always be connected to God. The psalmist writes this. He said in Psalm 24.3, Who may climb... To the, uh, who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? So, so the psalmist is writing here, uh, which we believe is King David or David, and he is saying after you know, the life that he lived, he was a man after God's own heart, but he did some very impure things. He's writing, who may climb to the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? 
Only those, say with me, church, whose hands and hearts are pure. Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship, a righteous relationship with God their Savior. Who can stand in the holy presence of God? Only those who have what? Pure hands, which signify life, and a pure what? Heart. Perhaps you're wondering this morning, how does anyone have a pure heart? I asked a similar question just a few moments ago. I want to give you five things, five ways that you can be on your way to having a pure heart. First of all, you need to examine yourself or you need to take an inventory of your life. You need to evaluate yourself. You need to examine yourself. Now, that sounds good, but I want to caution you right now because anytime we go and say, okay, this afternoon, Pastor, I'm going to go home and I'm going to go find my favorite spot, wherever that your favorite spot is, where you're not bothered by anyone else, you kind of turn your cell phone off, and I'm just going to evaluate my life. I'm just going to examine myself. The trouble is that whenever we examine ourselves, whenever we evaluate our own life, we often glaze things over. Well, I did that, but that, this is the reason why I did that. Or I behaved uh, in, in an unrighteous manner in that moment in time, but I had every reason to act that way. I had every right to say what I said. I had every right to do what I did. If we begin examining our own life by ourselves, I'm telling you, your heart will deceive you. And you will make excuses and glaze things over and not be tough enough on yourself. So don't trust yourself to examine yourself. Allow God and His Holy Spirit to examine you. Amen? So when you get into that place where you go, okay, I'm going to look at my life, I'm going to reflect on my life, I'm going to evaluate, I'm going to examine myself, in that moment of time, I want you to just simply do this. Here I am, God, by your Holy Spirit, speak to me as we examine my life together. Do you know what King David wrote? He wrote this in Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. David knew that if he was to trust his own heart to examine his own life, he would have another Bathsheba experience. He knew that there was only one who could be true with him, who could tell him that his heart was desperately wicked. And that he needed to confess things in his life. And that was God. And that's why he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And then he says in verse 24, say this with me, church, point out anything in me that offends you. And so in that moment of time, evaluating, examining ourselves, God, by your Holy Spirit, if there is anything in me that offends you, tell me right now so that we can deal with it by the power of your Spirit. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. You want to start on the pathway to a pure heart? You need to allow God's Holy Spirit to examine you. To evaluate your life. To take an inventory of yourself. Second, you need to accept responsibility for your sins. And for your faults. First, begin by being brutally honest with yourself. 
Don't sugarcoat it. Be real. Be open. Be transparent. Admit it when you're messed up. As the Holy Spirit reveals to you how you've messed up, own it. Don't excuse it. Don't excuse it. Don't rationalize it. Don't blame others. You know, when we take responsibility so many times in life, yeah, I'll take responsibility for this, but I'll, I'm, I'm going to blame other people along the way. I'll own my stuff, but because I have to own this, it's that person's fault and that person's fault and that person's fault, and that's the responsibility that we take. Don't rationalize it. Don't blame other people for your stuff. Accept responsibility for your sins. As God's Holy Spirit reveals stuff to you, take responsibility for it. John writes this warning in the first few verses of chapter 1, John 1, 8. If we claim, say this with me, church, we have no sin. We are only fooling ourselves and not living the truth. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. John is writing here that if we say we've never sinned, if we don't take responsibility as the Holy Spirit reveals sin to us, if we don't take responsibility for it and own it, then what we are basically saying is, God, you're a liar. Jesus never needed to come to planet Earth. He never needed to be born at Bethlehem. He never needed to die at Calvary. He didn't need to rise from the dead. We didn't need Jesus at all. That's a lie. Because we do need Jesus, amen? Accept responsibility. We need Jesus more today than we've ever needed him before because of the world that we live in. Three, ask God for forgiveness. Don't minimize your sin. Don't excuse your sin away. Don't rationalize it. Confess it. What is 1 John 9 between 8 and 10, which we've already read? In verse 9, John writes, but if we confess our sins to him that is Jesus he is what faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what all wickedness so if we confess our sins to Jesus he is faithful and just he's not going to bring the hammer down on us he's going to be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all all wickedness so that we can live a pure life and have a pure heart the key from sin, the key from guilt, the key from shame is God's forgiveness and grace being released into our life through the act of confession. There is no, conf- there is no forgiveness without confession. There are a lot of people today who think forgiveness happens without confession. There is no forgiveness without confession. There is no forgiveness without saying what is wrong with you, how you've messed up, and confessing it. Maxwell Cattle writes this, he said, when God's grace moves in, guilt moves out. We're forgiven. We've been redeemed. He has forgiven us. He has cleansed us from all wickedness. There is now no need to look over your shoulder because Jesus has dealt with it. Amen? Have you ever confessed your sins to Jesus? In today's culture, not confessing is a sign of strength. I've seen it over and over and over again. Ah, I I don't need to confess that. It makes, makes me look strong. There's no need to do that. There's no need to admit to this. There's no need to admit to that. 
There's no need to confess at all. And we, we actually perceive confess, not confessing as a strength. But it's actually a weakness that's destroying our culture. The act of not confessing is actually destroying our society. It is actually, actually destroying our churches. It's actually destroying the world that we live in. It's time that we ask for forgiveness. Amen? But there can't be forgiveness without confession, without confessing. Fourth, admit your sins to another person. Okay, pastor, I was with you right up into number four. <laughs> and I'm checking out right now. Hold on. I have a little word for you. James writes this. James says in 5.16, confess your sins to each other. And what? Pray for each other so that you may be healed. James is saying, the brother of Jesus is saying, if you don't confess your sins to another, how can someone encourage and pray for you so that healing may come to your life? The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. See, confession in a healthy environment is a choice that brings healing. First and foremost, the, the, the best confession is the confession to Jesus. To have him, to ask Jesus to forgive us of a sin or sins in our life and to have that unrighteousness made righteous by the grace and the blood and the, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. But with confession to Jesus comes accountability. We sometimes can snow Jesus. We can. Because we don't actually look Jesus in the eye, can we? We'll actually make excuses. We'll confess and then we'll go, well, Jesus, I'm going to take a couple of steps backwards now. And you won't mind, will you, Jesus? We are less likely to lie we are less likely to cheat. We are less likely to deceive when we admit our sins to another person. When we tell someone, after we've told Jesus, okay, you can't tell someone, you, you can't go to someone and say, I'm going to confess to you and think that's forgiveness. First step is that you need to confess to Jesus. We all, we're all on the same page, right? The first step is you confess to Jesus. But the second step to accountability in the confession process is that you tell someone you trust, here's what's going on in my life. I need you to pray for me so that healing can come to my life so that you will hold me accountable to the confession that I've made to Jesus. We're less likely to revert backwards if someone is holding us accountable. There is a freedom that comes into our life when we are honest before God, we are honest with ourselves, and we are honest with another person. But I need to tell you something. Straight up, this may shock you at New Hope Kingston. There are some people in this room you shouldn't trust. You still love me? There are some people that you need to be careful. If you confess to them, it will be all over town. And if you're okay with it being all over town, go ahead. Trust the person that you're going to confide in 
to tell your confession to, to hold you accountable to, so that they will truly help you to bring healing to your life, not destroy you. Amen? Admit to another person. Finally, accept God's forgiveness. And more importantly, well, not more importantly, but equally as important, forgive yourself. You see, God's forgiveness becomes instant. I just love it. Like, it's not delayed. If we go to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has revealed something to us and we ask Jesus and we confess to Jesus and ask Jesus to forgive us, it's quicker than that. They were forgiven. It's instant. It's less than a a millisecond. We are just totally forgiven. And God's forgiveness, I love this, it's free. You don't have to lay a 20 down on the table and say, there God, we're all good, right? No, you come to Jesus and he offers us grace that is free. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us of our sins. It's free. But there's a little footnote too. It will cost you everything. It will cost you your entire life. Because he just doesn't want to forgive you and let you go on sinning. He wants to forgive you so that you will live a pure and righteous life for Jesus Christ. God's forgiveness is complete. There is no medication in this world that can offer you a completeness than the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. It is complete and total forgiveness. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 3, 23, for everyone has what? Sinned, and we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. I wholeheartedly believe the healing choice is the righteous choice. As I look at this world and as I live in this world with each passing day, I am totally convinced that the healing choice for every person is the righteous choice to follow Jesus because he brings a completeness to us. He completely forgives us. He completely transforms us and changes us. Someone who is pure in heart is not afraid of their past. Amen? So stop looking over your shoulder. If Jesus has forgiven you something of something and it's in your past and it's been dealt with, confessed and forgiven, and you no longer, it no longer has authority over you, stop looking over your shoulder. Here's what many of us fail to understand. Because of Jesus, just because your past taps you on the shoulder doesn't mean you have to look back. Because the enemy will tap you on the shoulder. Even after it's been confessed, even after it's been forgiven, even after it's been dealt with in our life, the enemy will come along and go, remember? Remember when? And if we have been forgiven and we are walking in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit, there is no need to look back. Jesus has dealt with it. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have a pure heart? Do you have a pure life? It's real quiet now. There's a story of a group who would meet on a regular basis for Bible study, and they were studying the book of Malachi. Don't know why, but they were studying the book of Malachi. When they came across this verse, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. 
They were perplexed at the nature of God and how that verse would fit the nature and character of God. And so they had some discussion over, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. What does that that actually mean? And so when someone in the Bible study group had this great idea that there was a local silversmith, that they would go that week and pay a visit to the silversmith and see what they could see and report back to the Bible study group the following week. So this individual made the arrangements to show up, the, show up at the silversmith's shop and he was working with silver that day, of course. And he began to explain to her that, or explain to this individual that the silver kind of went in this cup and the cup went on a long handle into the fire and that, that it actually had to be in the middle of the heat. It couldn't be off to the side, couldn't be too far back into the furnace, couldn't be too, too much to the front. It had to actually be in the very hottest place. And not only did the silversmith need to hold it in place, but the silversmith needed to keep his eyes on on the refining process. Because if it was left in too long, then it would be destroyed. And if it was not in there long enough, then it wouldn't be free of impurities. And so he's explaining all of this to the person from the Bible study group. And after he was all done, this individual asked the question, how do you know When the silver is fully refined? Seems like a good question. How do you know when the silver is fully refined? He answered and said, that's an easy question. When I see my image in it. When I see my image in it. How do you know if you have a pure heart? When Jesus is reflected in your life. When Jesus is being reflected through you and in you, when the master smith is being reflected, when he sees his image in you, then that's the image other people will see, is not you, but who? Jesus, who is pure and wholesome and righteous and all-powerful. My prayer for you today comes from Timothy who is the protege of the Apostle Paul, and Timothy writes this in verse, chapter 1, verse 5. The purpose of all my instructions is that all believers will be filled with the love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, that means free of guilt, and genuine faith. That's my prayer for you today. That you would have a pure heart, that you would have a clear conscience, and that you would have a genuine faith. I would encourage you this morning to stop looking over your shoulder. And if you're looking over your shoulder for something that you've done, then it's time to confess it and ask Jesus to forgive you so that you can stop looking over your shoulder. Because there's only one direction Jesus wants you to move, and that's forward, not behind. He wants you to move forward for Him. The healing choice, the foundation for any restoration in your life, is to allow Jesus to give you a pure heart and a pure life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? team's going to come and lead us in a song in just a second, but before they do, we're going to just take a moment of silence here. I want to ask you a very pointed question. Do you have a pure heart? And I'm going to follow that question up with another question. Do you have a pure heart? Do you need to confess something to Jesus? Is there something you're looking over your shoulder wondering if it's going to catch up to you? 
that needs to be confessed, that needs the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a second because I don't think you need a long time. But just to look at your life. And if there is something right now in this moment, confess it to Jesus. Ask for His forgiveness. For the empowerment of His Spirit to live a pure heart and a pure life. Jesus, this morning we thank you for your Holy Spirit that is a work in us and through us, is at work in this room this morning. And in a crowd this size, there is stuff going on in our life that needs confession and forgiveness. We need you to forgive us of some stuff. Maybe we've cheated, maybe we've lied, maybe we've stolen. Maybe we've been deceiving. Maybe we've been anything but Christ-like. We confess this to you today, Jesus. And as we sincerely confess, we ask that you would forgive. Freely forgive. That you would make the wrongs right. That Jesus, you would clean us and purify us and refine us so that your image is reflected in and through us. In Jesus' name. And Lord, this morning we want to be held accountable. And so we know that it's important and maybe to some extent it's the easiest part is to acknowledge, confess, and receive the forgiveness. The tough part is not to do it again. By the power of your Holy Spirit, give us the authority to live victorious over the enemy because you've already defeated him. Over sin and death, may your righteousness reign supremely in and through us. And Lord, lead someone to us. Put them in our pathway that we're able to confide in and pray with so that healing comes to our life as you purify and refine us. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.